Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson, and joining me this week is Shar White, the author of such plays as The Other Place and The Snow Geese. His timely new one, The True, recently opened in a new group production at the Pershing Square Signature Center. It's based on the real-life story of Peggy Noonan, a major force in New York politics for nearly half a century, who is played by the equally fierce Edie Falco. Hello, Char White. Welcome to Broadway Radio. Thanks, Jen. I have so many questions that I want to ask you, but I want to start off by asking if you will tell listeners who haven't yet seen your play what the true is about. <laughs> well, I I tell people that the true is about a love story against the backdrop of 1977 democratic machine politics in Albany. This poses a, a problem because as soon as you say 1977 <laughs> machine politics in Albany, people... People tend to glaze over, so um, I, I I hope that I hope that it's that it's that it's a surprise enough that people haven't been glazing over. <laughs> no, where did you get the idea for this play? Because it's it's based on some real people. Well, yeah. Well, really, the idea began in uh, let's see, I guess it would be 2009. Hillary Clinton had uh, had ascended to Secretary of State, and her seat was open. And Governor Patterson was mulling over candidates for Hillary Clinton's uh, New York senatorial seat. And everybody thought it was going to be Caroline Kennedy, and it wound up being this person that few people outside of Albany had heard of, named Kirsten Gillibrand. And so the Times ran this article in January of 2009, saying essentially, "Who is Kirsten Gillibrand?" And it really focused on her grandmother, which is this woman named Dorothea Noonan, Polly Noonan. Uh, and it was just really just fascinating profile of her. Uh, absolutely fascinating. She was called by many people, by Mario Cuomo, of all people, too, um, one of the most powerful people in Albany. And, and yet there's really, there was really no, there's really no explanation or record about just how she was the most powerful person in Albany. I mean, she was, she was, according to this, uh, to this article and, and all my research um, shows this is true, that she, she was, she was mostly so powerful because she, because of her personal relationship to Erasmus Corning, who was known as the mayor for life. He was mayor of Albany for 42 years. Um, so, so, but within that, I thought like, what, who, who is this? <laughs> I, she said, she just sounded like one of the most magnificent characters and I wanted to know more about her. I was, I, I suspected there was a story there. So I, I started scratching at it. Is this how you usually uh, work? Uh, um, you read something and it provokes a thought or was this an unusual way for a play to begin for you? Uh, this is usually how it goes. I, I read the Times a lot. I read a lot of biographies. Um, I'm mm-hmm. always keeping my ears open. I really, especially, I think I think for me, stories really begin with, with character. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think especially writing mostly for theater, um, you know, I, I, I want... I'm I'm searching for the most dynamic character I can to put on stage, and and also I think I think great actors are looking for dynamic characters too. So so I, I usually start with that. What kind of research did you do 
Did you talk to well, people I, who knew her, or were there books about you know, I, her? There were books. There were never. This is the frustration with with Pauline Newton, and I think and I think the frustration with writing about um, with writing about female figures in power <gasps> who who because of the time in which they were at power were still relegated to the periphery you know Pauline Noonan is most written about in the biographies of the people who she was associated with um, right. Paul Grandal's great uh, biography of Erastus Corning um, Paul Grandal who's uh, an Albany writer um, was able to actually interview Polly Noonan so that was mm-hmm. invaluable and then and then you know really really everything around her is about how she was how she was associated with Erastus Corning and how she was associated with uh, Dan O'Connell who was the uh, chairman of the Democratic mm-hmm. Party in Albany mm-hmm. until his death in 1977 and, and so this is I mean it was both it was both a frustration in researching her and something that and something that that really spurred me on, you know, I, I certainly thought it, it it drove it drove me on to discover the mechanism by which she possibly could work in power. Now, here's a question that writers usually hate, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How much of the story is true that we see on stage? <laughs> well, right, that's the thing. Um, a lot of it's true, a lot of it's not. I, I mean, I think the difficult. This was the first time I had ever approached um, a play about actual historical figures mm-hmm. and and I think I suspect many people would tell you the same thing which is that at a certain point you you gather as many facts as you possibly can uh, and then and then the facts the facts stop and you don't know what's said mm. in the room you don't know what's said mm-hmm. behind closed doors unless there's a transcript and there's never a transcript <laughs> right you know unless it's a president not this president um, <laughs> but but <laughs> but so but so it is at a certain point, you you have to take the facts and 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 start building a story out of them. And so there's the the facts in the play are true. The fact is that in 1977, Dan O'Connell died in February 77, and there was a uh, there was an internecine struggle in the Democratic Party between Dan O'Connell's people and Erastus Corning, who wanted to take over leadership of the Democratic Party as well as maintain his mayoralty. So so that's a fact. And the, the you know the fact was that that Howie Nolan was his challenger, and you know I mean there, you mm-hmm. sort of like build up all these things, and and there was there was the fact of the democratic machine too, um, and then you know you sort of bear down into it, and there were the, these other facts too, which was that which is that uh, the, the the essential relationship of the play is this, this triangle between between Erasmus Corning and Polly Noonan and Polly's husband Peter Noonan. Mm-hmm. Um, it was long rumored that Polly and Erastus had had an affair or were in the midst of a long-running affair. Those rumors have never been substantiated in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there are mem- many people in Albany who swear up and down that it's all true. But there are more facts, right, within the story, which are very curious, which I think makes it a really spectacular story, which is that the mayor and Polly's husband, Peter, were very good friends, if not best friends. Hmm. The mayor stayed at at the Noonan's house, often overnight. Um, Almost every night he was there um, with Polly and Peter, watching the news, drinking thoughts, discussing headlines, watching sports. Um, Often in the morning, he would drive the children home. And upon his death, the Noonan children inherited a substantial portion of his um, of his wealth. So those are those are also facts. <laughs> so 
<laughs> so I think you know I think within that I think within that you can start you can start building a number of different stories, right? I mean, right. I mean, um, I, you, and you can choose to be as salacious as you want about those stories. I I made the choice. I made the choice not to be salacious in the telling of this. I mean, I don't think that's who I am as a writer, but I th- I think I'm I'm more interested in the really complicated nuances of long love, long friendships, um, long marriages, and and certainly facts or no, one could point at um, these people existing so closely together for so long as being a deeply nuanced relationship, and that's what I wanted to start building on. Uh, did you go up to, to, to Albany and talk to people? <laughs> I didn't. I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I have made, I've made, I've made journeys to Albany. The fact is there really aren't very many people to talk to. Well, the only that's person, true. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are, there are, but, but anyone I would, I guess here's, the, here's the thing. Here's what I, here's what in building a narrative, here's what I get concerned about is that, is that you do all your research and you have a theory as to where the story is going to be going. And I think, I think anyone who is peripherally involved in a story is going to want to, just because we're human beings, mm. um, put a gravitational weight on the story that is, you know, that benefits their side of it. You right, know, or that, right. Or that, or that voices, or that voices their, their perspective. And all of that's important, but I think for me, you know, when I'm, when I'm really starting to figure a story out and and discovering the grain of it and and which way it flows, I, it's 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 more important for me to be isolated in that discovery than to add voices to it, or else or else I think I get into trouble. Well, the reason I asked is was she as delightfully feisty and profane as your Peggy is? One thing I did do as much as was hew as closely as I could to my understanding of their character. So I read any quotation, any interview from her. I was able to finally dig up a um, an old PBS documentary about the Albany machine in which she was actually interviewed on camera. I think, hmm. I'm, I'm not sure, but it may be one of the few times she's actually interviewed on camera, so I could, I could capture the way she spoke. But by all means, everybody says that she was deeply profane, that she cursed like a sailor, um, that, she, that, she, that she was delightfully profane, that she, that she was physical, that she, there's a story of her punching a, uh, punching a, a, a Democratic uh, woman rival in the ribs during a rally, you know, something they, they disagreed about. And, and also what, what's really, what I think is really delightful too is that, is that all the stories about, about Polly and Erastus are that Erastus is this, um, you know, reserved blue blood Brahmin who is, who, you know, is, is fairly reticent to show emotion, whereas Polly in a way is his, is, is the mayor's alter ego, which is, you know, <laughs> she almost, she almost gives voice to to everything he wishes he could say. You know, she she does do the cursing, she does do the shouting. Um, I loved. I was able to speak to um, uh, one Albany uh, uh, reporter who said when he was a young reporter, he was at a he was a meeting uh, over a, a civic issue in Albany, and he said this woman stood up in back and started shouting and banging the table and cursing, and he said that all these. All these older white men, quite powerful white men, sort of turned white as a sheet and and gave her deference. And so he came back to his desk and he said, "He said, who is this woman?" And 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 he found out that he found out that, that this was the legendary Polly Noonan, 
And so, so you know, apparently this was this was definitely her. As a matter of fact, I I I may have. I may have depicted depicted her too tamely. Oh um, God! Oh God! <laughs> you know, that's my only concern. <laughs> you seem to specialize in writing about complicated women, and I am interested in what attracts you to them as characters. I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, honestly, I think my you know, I don't want to get too Freudian about it, but I mean, I have four sisters and, and, <laughs> and I think my mother is a deeply complicated person. And, and I, look, I mean, I, I like, I like writing about, I like writing about powerful people, complicated people. And I, I do think that because of the unique nature of what it is to be a woman in our society, mm-hmm. um, gives a powerful woman so much more, so many more facets um, to explore than than just writing about a powerful man. You know, I mean, at the same time, I think the interesting thing about Polly and about most powerful women is that they are both at the same time they are empowered and also disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think the relationship between feeling powerful and acting powerfully and at the same time being disenfranch- disenfranchised because they are a, a powerful woman is 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 something that is just uh, for me just endlessly tragic and dramatic well i know obviously you began working on this play before the last presidential election and and hillary yes. clinton's second run for the presidency but it's set in the world uh, of politics and it really to me got at some of the real dilemmas for women in politics. I mean, your Polly Noonan is clearly a political genius in a way. She knows how to work all of this. But at the same time, she's always sewing and cooking and Mm -hmm. doing these domestic plays. And it occurred to me that if she had been born maybe even 25 years later, she would have been running for mayor. She would have run that city. Absolutely. Yeah. Without, without a doubt, she would have been. Uh, I, it's, it's, very, it's very curious. It's, it struck me reading about her that there was, she almost really put a domestic cover on, on her power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, uh, in a way, I mean, she, she very often told people that she was just a grandmother. That's what she would say. I'm just a grandmother. I think maybe as a way to deflect questions about her about her about her effectiveness <laughs> mm-hmm. you know what what made her so effective and she would always she would always demure in this way that that was that was probably overly coy and 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 quite fun um i just started reading that um emily wilson translation of of um of uh of the odyssey mm-hmm. and just the introduction is really is really fabulous and 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 the way that she, the way that she talks about um, Athena, the goddess Athena, you know, who is both, who is both the goddess of war, of plotting and planning, uh, but also the goddess of weaving, <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. you know, and and the, and the goddess of tapestry. And there's, there's something, there's something really interesting about this, about this archetype of of the 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 power, the power behind the power. Mm-hmm. I I was also struck. There seems to be a bit of a nostalgia for the old style machine uh, politics. There's one speech uh, that that 
that Polly gives in the play that is so moving about the way that uh, the Democratic Party, uh, when she was coming up, how it cared for its mm-hmm. constituents. And I wondered, was I reading in, or do you have a nostalgia for that kind of Democratic Party? You know, I I think it's I think um, I think corruption is really interesting. I think <laughs> that I think that um, I, I I do have a nostalgia certainly for for the Roosevelt era Democratic Party, which is which is that if you need help, by God, you are going to get help, mm-hmm. and and that's what the government was there for, you know. And and I think that I think that was the backbone of of of. And that's that's what that's what defined the Democratic Party through through the 20th century, uh, you know, until identity politics started taking hold um, mm-hmm. with Reagan, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so and so, uh, yeah, I, I do I do have a not that I I don't want to I don't want to sugarcoat it by saying it was it was simplistic, but but there was a certain creed core which was which was if you need help we help you. And so then, of course, the corruption comes into play almost accidentally, because what happens is, you know, someone is killed on the job, and and the wife gets the, the widow gets that pension, and, and, you know, maintains some government contracts for that family. That's, that's great, you know, that's, that's, in a way, taking care of their own. But then what happens is, is when that becomes generational, you know, and the son inherits that and, and, you know, and their son inherits that those benefits, you know, you start having Mm-hmm. Um, an entire city or an entire organization really operating on on um, on favors and you know the, the border on graft and and suddenly suddenly through through your good intentions you've built you've built something that is deeply corrupt so so there's both nostalgia for it and and I think it's also I think I think the play also also picks at the uncomfortable side of that which is that which is that um, there is this is this is corruption, and this is um, in defiance of of a true democracy um, mm-hmm. on some levels. When you're a machine, mm-hmm. it's a it's a fascinating play. It would be a fascinating play at any time, but it is particularly fascinating uh, coming out at this time um, <laughs> in the, the yeah. you know the wake of the, um, the 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 Clinton loss in the midst of all mm-hmm. of this concern about the current president and and the role of women and the number of women who are stepping up to run in this uh, midterm election and Which so is this is really exciting <laughs> this just uh, i mean not not the yeah. one part the, the second part of it. yes <laughs> <laughs> so, part. so this really uh i think really adds to the conversation and and so we want to uh Thank you for, for, for it, and, and thank you for talking with us about it. No, thank you for talking to me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back next time, and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway Radio podcasts, which you can find on broadwayradio.com. <laughs>